Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, hello to the Community of Hope family. I want to say a warm welcome again to all of our guests, all of our partners, all of our regular attendees. We're so honored to have you. This is how we're doing church. In fact, this is how everybody who's doing church is doing church. And we're so honored to have you with us uh, in this time. And uh, we're excited about it. Hey, I want to say too, before I get uh, too far into the message, I also want to add my voice to the chorus of those around the world singing praise to all of the moms uh, in the world right now. We are in a place right now in our culture where we are honoring self-sacrifice and where we are honoring uh, our heroes. And, uh, you know, a lot of us right now are being very grateful and uh, offering prayers of gratitude for doctors and for uh, nurses and for first responders and all that. And we want to add our moms to the list And for many of us, our moms are our heroes, and we just want to shout out. So here's what I want to tell you right now. Wherever you are worshiping right now, if there is a mom uh, in the room, I want you to just rush right now and just tackle her. Tell her how much you don't actually do that, but just tell her how much you love her. We want to honor her in this place. I want to shout out to my mama. Tell her how much I love her. I know she's listening right now. Uh, My mom is... uh, lives in a facility that we haven't been able to see her. I think it's been about nine weeks we've been able to see her. And I taught her how to FaceTime last week. And I've got some sermon illustrations that are coming. I just want everybody to know that. That is coming. Mom, I'm giving you fair warning of what's going to happen in a couple of weeks. But uh, anyhow, shouts out uh, to the moms. And uh, I want to say real quickly, we're going to dive right in. So if you're with us, I want you to grab the Community of Hope app, grab your journal, grab your Bible. We're going to uh, take a few moments and we're going to grow and we're going to learn together. I want to remind everybody that the goal of this time is not really that we learn things about God. And so really, that's not why I'm here. I really don't believe that's why you're here. And so we're not really here to do that. In fact, I think we're here in many ways to learn that there is a God. And that there is a God in heaven who loves us, who is with us, who supports us, and uh, is able to be with us uh, in the good times that we can uh, trust in him. And when times are difficult, we can lean on him. And that's what we're doing right now. I I think of the words that Jesus said, I believe it was in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 16, verse 33. uh, This is a verse we say around here every now and again, where Jesus said, I have told you all these things. Think with me about this. I've told you all these things so that in me, you may have peace. For in this world, you will have trouble. In the world, you will have trouble, he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so this is so important for us right now. Um, You know, I was thinking about this even this week. You know, a lot of us, all of us, in fact, we're all building our lives uh, on something. And you don't have to be religious. You don't have to be a follower of Christ. You don't You don't have to be any of that. We're all building our lives uh, on something. You might be building your life on stuff that you learned when you were growing up. I know that I do a lot of that. There are things that I do in my life that uh, I receive from my family, that good things that I've instilled into my own character, into my own values, and I live by those things. Every now and again, I'll be doing something at the house, and Beth will go, what are you doing? And I'll tell her, I'm doing what I learned when I was growing up. And she says, learn something else. So every now and again, 
that's, that's not true, but um, for the most part, that, that is true. But, you know, we might be uh, building our lives on what we've read out of the Reader's Digest or all these different religious things that are sort of connected and sort of not connected. But I want to tell you something, and we all know this, that when life happens and, you know, life sort of bumps against the foundation that we ha- are building our lives on, that foundation gets exposed, And it's in those moments we learn really whether or not, you know, that um, the foundation that we're building our lives on is worthy of the construction that we're building on top of it. And I think with all of my heart right now, this is one of those seasons uh, that is going on. And so we're really wanting to learn together. Now, here's what we're doing. And just for the sake of those who may be joining us, uh, we want to say this. We're using the gospel of Mark And we're kind of taking a tour through the gospel of Mark. And what we're noticing is we're stopping by at different passages, different stories where uh, Mark tells us, I think through the lens of the apostle Peter, where Mark tells us uh, where people observed some aspect of Jesus' person, some aspect of his life, his character, his words, his conduct, his relationship with God. And the Bible says in those stories that people were amazed. And so what we're doing right now in this series, this is actually what we're looking at. And if you're with us, we started the series by looking at uh, Jesus, where it says that people were amazed at his words. We took a week and we looked at where it says people were amazed at Jesus' forgiveness both uh, how he talked about forgiveness and how he offered forgiveness. And, and, and then uh, we talked last week, if you were with us, about how people were amazed at Jesus' calm and Jesus' care. And today what I want to do for a few moments, and I'm really pumped about this, I want to talk to us uh, today uh, about uh, how people were amazed at Jesus' ability to restore what seemed lost. And when I think about the word restore, I think some other words that we might put in there and words that sometimes show up in the text of scripture, but sometimes are words that really apply, words like this, God's ability to restore, his ability to heal, to mend, to refinish, and to repurpose. And I want you to know today from wherever you're listening, I want to say a couple things right here. I want to say, first of all, I've been a follower of Christ since 1978. I've been a pastor since 1987. And along this journey, I can tell you, I have witnessed uh, in my own personal experience, the power and the forgiving grace of Jesus Christ uh, do more than any single other thing to transform human experience. In fact, what I'm saying is simply this. I cannot really point to any single thing uh, other than the the personal work of Jesus Christ uh, to transform human misery, brokenness, addiction, relational dysfunction, self-hatred, self-destruction, compulsion, sadness, or lack of purpose. Whatever it is, you name it, I can't in my own experience point to any single other thing than the love of Jesus Christ dawning upon a human heart to transform and restore in any of those areas what has been lost. And so I want to tell you from wherever you're listening today that if if you identify with any of that, this message is for you. 
But I want to offer right here in this space too, I want to offer, I think, uh, a moment of conviction that I bring to this message. And this is why I believe we're here to learn. And here's the message of conviction. I believe that all of this is possible and it happens best in an environment where we push the tent stakes out and we walk ourselves into a wider understanding of the world that we live in. And so if you think about it, I want to explain. You know, last week, uh, I, I think uh, we used what I think is probably the most popular scripture that we would ever notice where it says people were amazed. And it was a story uh, that, that most of us have heard. If you've knocked around church at all, you've heard it. It was a story where Jesus calms the storm. And the Bible tells us that the, the disciples were amazed. And the, the most important verse, I think, in that happens in Mark chapter 4, verse 40. And the verse simply says this, where Jesus says to the disciples, after he speaks to nature and he calms the storm, he says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no fear? And, and so last week we looked at a popular verse of scripture and here's what I told everybody. You can go back and listen to it. I said, it's a popular verse of scripture, but I think a lot of us get the story wrong. And I think the reason we get the story wrong is we, we hear Jesus talk about faith and fear and we think we have to choose one or the other. And that we learned last week is not actually what Jesus is saying. In fact, uh, you know, we, we learned last week that fear often, uh, if we understand it right, fear is something that God has given us uh, to as a self-correcting mechanism uh, in our lives when things aren't working right. I remember one time when I, when we, when I was growing up, when I was really small, we, we lived in, and when we lived in Tampa, we had this beautiful backyard. It was kind of, our neighborhood was built out of an orange grove. We had this big backyard. I remember, you know, playing out there with all of my friends. And at the very back of the yard, my dad had uh, placed a little shed back there and he would keep all of his garden tools and all of that in there. And I'll never forget uh, one Saturday, I was doing some yard work with my dad. I love to do yard work. And we were out there and my dad said, I'm going to go into this shed. And he said, I'm going to just grab some fertilizer. We're going to fertilize the, the flower beds. And, and I just, I, I walked back there with, with my dad to the shed, but I didn't go into the shed. And my dad went into the shed and I wasn't thinking anything of it. And all of a sudden I heard this huge racket in the, in the shed and there's, you know, and, and, and this, all this commotion breaks out. And it reminds me, I don't know if you remember the, the, the movie, the, of Christmas Carol, where, you know, there's like the, the flat, the, 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 the tie, the car goes, has a flat tire and he's fixing it and something happens. And, and it says he let out a string of obscenities that are still circling the globe. And I, and, and it was almost like that moment. And, and, and my dad backed out of the shed and, and he said, there's a snake in there. And he went to put his hand on the shelf to grab, you know, the fertilizer and something touched his hand. It freaked him out. And we're all expecting the world to end. And finally, this little snake comes out and just kind of goes right around the corner. And I, I just still, I, I remember that. But you know, fear is, is that kind of thing. And, and, and what I was trying to remind everybody last week is that I think a lot of times we misunderstand that, that scripture. And God was actually saying, Jesus was actually saying to the disciples, where are you placing the faith uh, in terms of power? Where, what do you think is most powerful, the storm or me? And this is a question for us right now. What do we think is most, most powerful, the pandemic is that determining the outcomes of our lives or is God by his grace determining the outcomes of our lives? And, and the reason this is important is this. What I want to do now is I want to, I, you know, last week was the 
really popular scripture. Now I want to, now I want to use what I think is a really unpopular scripture. They're always connected together. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, these two stories are, are together. And, and we know the first one. We don't know the, the second one as well because it's so bizarre. And it's a perfect story for us to consider, you know, how the world works and how we can grow in our faith as a result of a deeper understanding of these important things. So what I want to do is I want to read this story to you. And, it, it, and again, we're in the Gospel of Mark, so we're in Mark chapter 5 now. And it's the story of Jesus restoring uh, what is referred to as a demon-possessed man. So here we go, Mark chapter 5, verse 1. The word says this, Mark records it, he says, so they went across uh, the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, sometimes referred to the Gadarenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. And night and day uh, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Now, when Jesus, uh, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus? son of the most high God. In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. So this is the spirit talking to Jesus. And when Jesus asked him, what is your name? He responded and said, my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And a large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs and the herd. Now about 2000 in number rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And sometimes that's translated, they were in awe. And those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and he told and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, but Jesus did not let him. And he said instead, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people, here it is, were amazed. Let's pray together. God, by the power of your grace and the richness of your mercy, uh, would you come with your power into this space and wherever we're gathered to listen to these words and to listen to this message? And God, would you transform it from just ordinary human words into life-giving truth that all of us can build our lives on, that at the end of this experience, we might be able to truthfully say we have 
grown in our relationship with you. We have come to deeper understanding of how your world works and how you interact with it. This we pray in the power of your name. And everyone said amen. So this story uh, has it all. I mean, it's got demons, it's got miracles, it's got possession, it's got murder, it's got mayhem, it's got like it all. And, uh, and I think that's why it's so un, unpopular and so uh, often not thought of because, to be honest with you, most pastors steer away from it. Uh, it there's a lot of theological interpretation. There's a lot of heavy stuff to slog our way through in a passage like this. And so I think many, many pastors just won't preach it. And uh, I, I'm not one of those preachers, and so I'm going to go at this. And uh, one of the reasons I'm going to go at it is you're not here, so you can't bum rush the stage if you disagree with me. But uh, when I'm thinking about this, in fact, I I was thinking uh, in the run-up to this message that I can remember only one person I know of that that as a pastor ever preached it, and it's Pastor Rick Warren. You've heard of him. And Pastor Rick Warren, uh, who wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life, uh, it's been, I think, translated now into a title, What on Earth Am I Here For? It's one of the best-selling books of all time, religious and non-religious. I have a great respect for Pastor Rick Warren, and Pastor Rick Warren preached this message one time, and here's what he titled it. He titled it, A Nude Dude in a Rude Mood. And the reason he titled it that is because Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the story, but Luke tells us that the man didn't have any clothes. And he shared this story, and he tells this story, and I think it's true that there, are a, a, there is an opportunity for a lot of theological interpretation. And uh, on a deeper level, for a few moments, here's what I want to do. I want us to zoom out. And I want to pull the story apart and I want to challenge us really in two areas. And I want to, I want to talk to us for just a few moments around our theology. And then on the back end of my talk, if you'll stay with me, I want to talk to you just for a few minutes from a pastoral perspective. But first I want to look at it really from a theological perspective. And I don't want to, I don't want to ignore what is right in front of us. And when I look at this passage of scripture, I, I want to say, first of all, that It's really important, I believe, because it gives us insight. Listen to me now. It gives us insight into how the biblical Christianity sees the world and, in fact, how Jesus sees the world and how he intersects with it. So this is is at play. And, and, And here's what you and I both know. We know that there is a lot of interpretation around what Christianity is. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of misunderstanding out there. In fact, I talk to people all the time, and this is when I used to talk to people. So and now, like, you know, if I, you know, could talk to you, uh, I talk to people all the time who struggle with, with, with how the world works, and they struggle with what the Christian faith is actually all about. And really, this story, I think, gives us great insight into how Christianity should see the world and in fact how Jesus sees it and how he intersects with it. And if I were to put a a, a big marker down and and put a big tent stake in the ground for us to to build some truth around, and if you're taking notes, and this is what I would want to say first of all, here's what we're learning in this story first of all, that all we see is not all there is. 
And we're invited into the story to, to understand that our world is built and established in a way that there's some stuff going on that we don't see that's, that's in front of us. And this is a powerful thing for us uh, to consider. In fact, I, I think of it uh, this way. Rationalism, okay, go with me here. Rationalism is the disbelief that in almost anything that cannot be seen through a telescope or a microscope or what can be proven by the scientific method. Uh, that's actually what uh, rationalism is. Naturalism, go with me, write it down if you want to, is the belief that all we have is material, the material world, there is in fact no spiritual world. That's naturalism. In fact, uh, I was reading this week that uh, sometimes scholars or, and pastors connect all of these things together and, and they say this, that if either one of these ideolo- ideologies, rationalism and naturalism, are held too strictly, they will lead to skepticism about anything spiritual and left unchecked, it will push us toward agnosticism, which is where we come to doubt God's existence. And over time, that will move to atheism, where we in fact deny God's existence. And so there's a lot really in play here. And when I think about this, this is what I want us to think about together for a few moments. Christianity, here's what I have come to understand. And that is that biblical Christianity doesn't deny the importance of the rational world uh, and, and, and science. It doesn't uh, deny the importance of that. It, it doesn't uh, deny the importance of the natural world. But biblical Christianity, listen to this, interprets within all of this the concept that there are spiritual forces in the world that we should not deny. I was uh, reading, and, and maybe you've heard of, we, we quote him from time to time, C.S. Lewis, and in his great book uh, called The Screwtape Letters, makes an observation about this that I think is really relevant right now in this moment. And here's what C.S. Lewis, who uh, is a great, was a great thinker about Christianity. He said, there are oftentimes two very equal and opposite errors into which humanity can fall about demonic activity. One is to disbelieve in its existence altogether, and the other is to believe and to almost feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in it, in demons themselves. And he goes on to say the demons then, he said, I think this is really powerful, he says, are equally pleased by both errors and will hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Part of what I want to say in this moment is I, w- I want to challenge us, for those of us who are growing in our faith, uh, it, you know, I want to challenge us to kind of move the tent stakes out uh, to, to accept that there are forces and things going on in our world, spiritual things, deep things, dark things, good things, bad things that we cannot see, we cannot understand, that all that we see about human experience is, is not all there is. A pastor and theologian, Greg Boyd, writes uh, in his book, he says this, he goes, why is the notion of a non-physical personal being any more difficult than the notion of a physical personal being? He said, if beings with consciousness 
such as ourselves can exist, which is remarkable in itself, he goes on to say, why rule out the possibility, he says, uh, of other types of personal beings existing? Actually, he says, the more we know about the world, the stranger it becomes. He goes on to say stuff like quantum physics, for example, deals almost entirely with the realm of the universe, the subatomic realm, which is almost entirely invisible. So he's going on to build the case that, that we, should, we should recognize that there are things going on in the world all the time that we don't understand. I think this is what Paul the Apostle was getting at when he said this, and, and he writes in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, this is Paul the Apostle, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. You know, I can tell you, as a taking a pastoral moment of privilege, in my 32 years as a pastor, I have had uh, sometimes had encounters with people uh, that in those encounters, that the only category for me left to place the experience I have with them as a pastor or in a counseling moment is to open this box and, and come to an understanding that sometimes there's activity that's going on that, fr- quite frankly, it's just, it's dark. It's evil. Maybe you're like me, but I can, I can tell you this. I've, I've seen addiction at a level where it's completely controlling. I've seen hatred beyond just argument. I've seen misery uh, beyond just a bad day. And sometimes I've seen that at a level that it looks and feels to me like there's simply more going on than we would normally want to name or understand. Now, here's what I'm challenging in the room. Biblical Christianity really opens us to a deeper understanding of how Jesus saw the world and how he intersected and interacted with the world. And this is what is so powerful about this story. And and I don't want to be one of those pastors that, that just, you know, looks at this from a referential standpoint or, or, you know, makes some, you know, kind of pastoral understanding about this that without first going right at the truth that is right in front of us. And, and I got to tell you, it's our understanding of this truth that, that gives us better categories in which to understand some things that are going on in our world. And so I wanted to go right at this from a theological standpoint. But before we close, I, I, wanna, I wanna say a few things from a pastoral frame. So we've said, we've talked our theology. Let's come from a pastoral perspective. When I, when I look at the story, I am moved in a couple of ways and I wanna share them with you. The first way I'm moved, quite honestly, is we read in this story how Jesus restored the man to himself. And I love this. Mark chapter five, verse 15 says this. It says, when, when, when they came to Jesus and, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, they were afraid or they were in awe. 
that this was going on. And so Jesus restored this man to himself. He was clothed, he was restored, he was repaired. This is, this is a, a kind of passage in scripture from which we get the story or the phrase, you ever say this before, I was out of my mind. This is the kind of thing that is going on here. It reminds me of the story of the prodigal son and that wonderful passage in the story of the prodigal son where it says, and in a moment where he came to himself, it's like he had a moment of clarity, he had a moment of lucidity, he had a moment of, of deeper understanding and, and, and he got up out of the pit and he went home. And this is, this is what's going on right now. I mean, here, here is a guy that everybody's afraid of. Here is a guy that was living among the tombs. Here was a guy that was harming himself. Here was a guy that was in this incredibly dark place. He has this encounter with Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus does is restore him to himself. And I gotta tell you that I can't even count how many times as a pastor, I have seen the love of Jesus Christ dawn on a human heart and pull people out of the worst kind of misunderstanding and misery of human experience and restore people to themselves. Praise God for that. This is such a powerful part of this story. We have a powerful ministry in our church called Celebrate Recovery. In fact, right now, I think we're meeting on Monday nights through an online experience you can uh, you know, uh, you can, I think, email, I, uh, we're going to put it on the screen, recovery at communityofhope.church, and you can get a link to be a part of a gender-specific groups that we have uh, on Monday night. But in recovery, they often talk about this. They talk about um, the reality step where uh, we understand that there are parts of our lives that have become unmanageable. And all of us have, from time to time, we experience this. And, and, and in CR talk and in CR language, this is sort of that story in, in CR language. This, this is when, when people have that moment and, and they come to an understanding there are parts of my life I can't control anymore. It's controlling me. But then what I love about CR language is, is, is step two is the hope step. And the hope step is that we learn that there is a God who loves us, who has the power to restore us to sanity. And this is that story. So I don't know what you're experiencing right now. I mean, I don't know what's happened in your life as a result of this pandemic. There's a lot of things that are, that are going on right now that are just, they're sad. They're hard and they're difficult. I was speaking with somebody today that, that was furloughed and was confirmed today that they lost their job. And so this, is, this, this stuff is real. But I, I got to tell you, because of human experience, a lot of us have moved in before the COVID-19 happened and we were already had stuff going on in our lives. And here's what I want to just say, a word of grace to you. God can bring restoration to you like he brought restoration to this man and he restored him to himself. But that's not all he did. I, I want, want you to notice too that he restored the man to his community. In Mark chapter five, verse 19, it says this, Jesus did not let him, uh, did not let him uh, go with him, but he said, I want you to go home, Jesus said, go home to your own people. I love how he even says that and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. 
and he welcomed him. He invited him back into community. He wasn't any longer living among the dead. I've talked to a lot of people that we just get stuck in our stuff in our life. And you get stuck there long enough, I got to tell you what happens. Hope begins to recede to the point you don't have any hope. And you think it'll never change. It can never get better. And, and that's a lie, I think, of the enemy in this world. And in the midst of our difficulty, in the midst of our loss, in the midst of our grief, in the midst of all the things that we experience as human beings, Scripture teaches that God wants to enter into that and offer his power and his grace and restore what was lost. And God can do it for this man. God can do it for you. I think the question always right is, will you let him do it? What I love about this story really is a postscript. I mean, we can talk about a lot of theology. We can talk about God's restoring power of restoring this man to himself, restoring him to his community. But, but I love this. Jesus made his mess a message. He said, I want you to go home, and I want you to tell everybody what the Lord has done for you, and I want you to tell everybody about the mercy God has had on you. And then in verse 20, it says this, so the man went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis, which translates in the 10 cities, he was going everywhere, how much Jesus had done for him. And that's where we hear it. They were all amazed. One of the things I love about Community of Hope, it's filled, it is filled, filled with stories of people who've experienced the transforming power of Jesus Christ in their lives. And they, like this man, are going out and telling the world that the same thing can happen to you. Will you let him do it? Will you give him your life? Will you give him your pain? Will you give him your brokenness? And let God, like he did with this man, cut the chains off, restore you to yourself, and restore you to community, and make your life a message of his grace. I want to pray for you right now. Lord, I'm so thankful that you are so good. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that this story stands not just as a historical narrative that we would learn interesting things about you. But God, this is, this is, this is a testimony of your mercy it's a signposting of your power and of your grace. And I pray, God, on this Mother's Day for any, anyone listening to the sound of my voice who needs a touch from you in whatever way, Lord, that you, by the power of your grace, would touch their human experience and begin right now your restoring work in their life. God, give us the courage to move the tent stakes out, to, to accept a kind of faith that, that says there are things we don't understand, that there are forces going on in the world, that, Lord, you are even doing battle with the forces in the world of the evil one, and that, that God, you will win the victory. You have won it, and you will win it for all time. And so, God, would you help us to have greater understanding around this? This we pray in the name of Jesus. And everyone said amen. 
Well, it's been great to be with you today. Again, happy Mother's Day to you. And if you would like to take a next step in your faith, you'd like to learn more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You'd like to learn more about what it would mean to connect with a Christian community. Even right now in this time, if you would text the word next to the number on the screen, we will reach your way and connect uh, with you in that way. God bless you. Go in his grace. Enjoy your day. We'll see you next weekend.